facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Welcome to Thursday, August the 31st, the last day of August 2023. I'm so glad you're spending it with me on The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Let me give out the phone number to call. 888-914-9149. Toll free to talk to me. And you can also email the program. Kale at RelevantRadio.com. C-A-L-E at RelevantRadio.com. Great place to send questions, show ideas, comments. Love to hear from you guys. And you can also find me on the X.com app, formerly known as Twitter. The app, formerly known as Twitter, just like Prince, you know, became that symbol. Um, well, here, here's here's a symbol. It's the at symbol, at Kale Clark. That's where you can find me there. C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. Yeah, so I, uh, whew, I'm kind of out of breath because... Um, I just, uh, I just, uh, I had my dinner before the show really, really quickly. Um, it was mini wheats. I had mini wheats for dinner. Yes, I did. Frosted. Uh, a little decadent here. I got frosted mini wheats. It's a feast day. It's a great feast day. You know whose feast it is today? Couple of saints. Couple of saints. I'm talking about Nicodemus. That's why the show is called. If you saw my post about this on Twitter, and thanks to the great John Hanready for the incredible graphic, as always. Calling this episode Nick at Night with apologies to Nickelodeon. I simply couldn't resist. It's the feast day of Nicodemus and also also St. Joseph of Arimathea. So it's a, it's a double dose. And these two guys are really, really important for understanding Jesus. So got a lot of fun stuff to talk about. And then later in the program as well, you're not going to want to miss this. An ex-Navy SEAL who spent over a decade with the Navy SEALs talks about how important it is to give out compliments, especially if you're a guy, especially if you're a guy to give and receive compliments. It can, it can literally be life-changing. It can literally be life-changing because I don't know, maybe producer Jim has a take on this, but, but guys don't get a lot of compliments. They're just, they just do what they're expected to do. They, they, they do their job. They do it well, take care of the family, take care of what they need to do. Very rarely do people go out of their way to give a guy a compliment. I don't know if this is your experience, but maybe I maybe I'm not deserving of any compliments. <laughs> That's why I don't get them. I probably don't. I probably don't. But um, I compliment myself, I, Kale. <laughs> you compliment yourself. <laughs> That's, I love it. I love it. Well, I don't know if you agree with this, Jim, but but if a guy gets a compliment, it, it can stay with them for a long time. It really it really can encourage them for a for many many months and even years to come. It, it's really interesting. So I think you guys are going to really find this fascinating. I don't know if you guys have a take on this, but if you have any opinion on this, uh, do call in. We'll talk about that later. But again, that phone number, 888 is the number to call. We're cracking open. Yep, another great show on Relevant Radio. And yeah, I'm chasing my mini wheats with a nice Pepsi Zero Sugar. And uh, that's, that's, a, that's a dinner of champions right there. Gotta love it. And this is, this is why the show is so high energy. Well, let me let me talk about first of all Nicodemus because this is fantastic. Nick at night, and it may be night where you're listening to me right now, especially if you're listening on the podcast uh, in the evening. It's great to be with you. But Nicodemus very famously visited Jesus by night, and, and you can read about this in John chapter three. It says, "Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi." 
we know that you are a teacher come from God. For Talk about giving compliments. He's laying it on pretty thick here. Listen to this. Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus just kind of doesn't even pay any attention. It's like, yeah, whatever. Here's the point. Jesus answers him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew. And this is the translation I'm reading from here. It's the Revised Standard Version, Second Catholic Edition, RSV 2 CE. But it might say in your English Bible, born again or born from above. And there's a reason for that. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus gets right to the point. Forget about the nice things you're saying about me. Here's what you need to know. Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Uh, You're taking things just a, a little bit too literally, my friend Nicodemus. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born anew or born again. The wind blows where it wills and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can this be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand this? He's like, kind of give him a cold shot there. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. And bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And of course, that's that great reference to... Uh, the Israelites being bitten by poisonous snakes. They're grumbling in the wilderness against Moses. And God tells Moses, make it, make a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, hold it up. And everyone who looks at it will be healed. And, and Jesus says, I have to be lifted up. And I'm lifted. I'm going to be lifted up on the cross. And those who look to me on the cross and trust in my salvific work on the cross will be healed as well. And then, of course, right after that. Okay, so that's the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And then right after that is maybe the fa- maybe the most famous verse in the entire Bible, John 3.16. This is college football is starting this weekend. The NFL is starting the week after. Guess what? You're going to see a lot of bedsheet banners in the stands, you know, especially when they're kicking field goals. John 3.16 is always a favorite. People want you to look it up. Maybe the most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, it's interesting because we don't know whether Jesus is actually saying this because it's really unclear in the text when Jesus stops talking and then when the narrator takes over, in this case, John, the writer of the gospel. Most scholars tend to think that John is kind of taken over by this point. Uh, So verse 16 is not necessarily something that Jesus said, but you would agree with it, of course. This is the word of God. And uh, what's interesting is everybody remembers John three sixteen. It's a great verse, of course. Whoever, you know, God so loved the world, he gave, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, 
but have eternal life. And then what everyone forgets is what happens a couple verses later, because every verse is just as important. And, and, and hey, John 3, 18 is just as important as John 3, 16. So here's the one in the middle in the sandwich here, John 3, 17. It says, for God sent the son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Now, here's John 3.18, every bit as important as John 3.16. Here's John 3.18. He who believes in him, that's in Jesus, is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Okay, so that, that's, that's pretty important as well. You, if you don't believe, there's a price to pay. There's a price to pay. Let's look at verse 19. I'll just read the next couple of verses here. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does what is true comes to the light, that it might be clearly seen that his deeds have been wrought in God. Yeah, those who do evil hate the light. That's why we have security lights in our buildings and cameras and things like that. And usually you see criminals scurrying away when they, when they see the light. Nobody, although in this day and age, people are pretty proud of their sins, I think, and they're, they're quite happy to publicize them in many cases. Um, but anybody who's, who's thinking rightly um, has any kind of a conscience remaining. They don't want this. And so th this is the great conversation between Jesus and, and Nicodemus. And a lot of people question whether... Nicodemus is even a real guy. He certainly was. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. And, and let me tell you a little bit about this. In fact, um, in our the other program that I host on Relevant Radio, The Faith Explained, we started this brand new series called Jesus 101. We're looking at the hard evidence for the life of Jesus. How do we know how do we know that we know what we know about Jesus, if, that's, if that makes any sense? It's important for us to be well-grounded in this. And one of the writers outside of the Bible who wrote about Jesus was Josephus. He was a great historian of the time, not a Christian, did not believe in Jesus, did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But he wrote about Jesus. And he also kind of mentions probably Nicodemus, because there, there's, there's a couple guys named Nicodemus who are mentioned in Josephus's writings. Um and he was probably part of the famous Gurion family, the Gurion family. Very wealthy, very well-connected, certainly part of the 1% uh, in, in the Jerusalem area. And, and there's a scholar named uh, Richard Balcom, and, and he, he he's sort of shown how the way that John's Gospel talks about Nicodemus, it's exactly what we know about his family from history. They're part of the elite, the Gurion family, part of the elite. They were Pharisees. They were really wealthy. They were teachers of the law. And in fact, it, later on, the rabbis would actually talk about a guy named Nicodemus, who was a disciple of Jesus. So it's probably the same guy. I mean, in all likelihood, it's the same guy. Maybe, you know, it was a somewhat common name, but not that much. So he, he comes to Jesus by night. That's why we're calling it Nick at night, you know, Nickelodeon at night. Well, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. And people say, you know, why is he doing this? Is he, is he, He's embarrassed to be seen talking to Jesus because he, he, he's, he's a Pharisee and Jesus isn't a trained rabbi necessarily. He's got a lot of disciples. He's making a stir. Um, he's doing stuff, attracting a lot of attention. And 
and and he comes at night is is he's kind of embarrassed maybe 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 not maybe not uh, because this is actually the time of day when when a lot of rabbis would study the bible would study the torah the books of moses they would do it in the evening at nighttime so maybe he just wants to have a bible study with jesus he just wants hey i want to see what rabbi jesus has to say about some of my questions i really want to find out more about this guy he's obviously pretty curious and and some spiritual writers have said, well, this, the fact that he comes under cover of darkness, it's sort of a sign of spiritual darkness without really knowing, understanding the message of, of Christ. You're kind of in, in darkness in a certain way. Yeah, you can certainly apply it that way for sure. But uh, he, he simply wants to check it out, I think. And, and so he starts asking you know, Jesus some questions here. And he gives him a nice little compliment. Hey, you know, you're, you're doing great stuff here. And Jesus says, hey, look, let's get to the point here. Truly, truly, the, the double amen. I say to you, unless one is born again, and, and it's the Greek word anothen, and it can mean from above. It can also mean again. It, it's, it's probably intended as kind of a double meaning here as a pun. And, uh, but it doesn't really matter whether, I mean, you might just simply mean from above. Um, but later on when Nicodemus kind of doesn't get it, he's like, well, hold on here. How can I, how can I be born again? How can I, uh, what do I enter a second time into my mother's womb? Be born as I no, it's not, it's not physical. He's talking about sacramental birth here. So Jesus says, he, he, he kind of clarifies it, what, what he's talking about in verse five. He says, truly, truly, again, he really means business when he says this, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And by the way, that was universally, universally thought to be a reference to baptism until the time of Martin Luther. It wasn't until after the time of the first Protestant, Martin Luther, that, that's the only time you start to see people saying, well, it means accepting Jesus in your heart or, 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 or praying the sinner's prayer, as people might say in, in modern times. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's a good thing to do. To pray the sinner's prayer but jesus is talking about baptism here that's how you enter the kingdom of god that's how you enter the church as through a door you've got to be baptized of water and the spirit and so this is universally agreed upon is what jesus means by this and then there's a nice another little pun here by jesus when he says do not marvel that i said to you you must be born anew the wind blows where it wills and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from. You do not know where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, the word for wind and word in the spi- and the word for the Spirit is the same. In Hebrew, it's ruah, you know, like like huah, scent of a woman. Remember that, Al Pacino? And, and so it's a nice little pun there by Jesus, for sure. The wind, the Spirit. And it's like that when, when God moves in the world. Um we don't see the wind. We see the effects of the wind, but we don't see the wind itself. We see the trees blowing. We see the damage from powerful hurricanes and storms. Like Adalia down in Florida, praying for everybody down there, and in Georgia, we've been affected by that. We see the powerful effects of the wind, but we don't actually see the wind. And it's like that with God's Spirit. We see the effects of God's Spirit in our life, but we don't We don't necessarily, can't, point it, can't pinpoint it necessarily, um, looking from the outside, but, but it's, it's God who's working here. So Nicodemus is going to show up again, of course, uh, at the burial of Jesus. We'll talk about that in, in just a minute. But if you have any 
comments on this, any questions about this, give me a call. 888-914-9149. You are listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, and I'll be right back after this quick break. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Welcome back to The Kale Clark Show. Call in right now, 888-914-9149. Can't wait to hear from you. You can also tag me on Twitter, on the X app, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And later on, in just a few minutes, we're going to be talking about uh, an ex-Navy SEAL who speaks about how important it is, especially for men, to hear compliments and to compliment other guys. And it's, it's, it's really intriguing. I can't wait to share this with you. But we're talking about Saints Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. It's their co-feast day today, if you will. And uh, August 31st, it is for them. And we talked about Nicodemus, Nick at night, coming to see Jesus and, and really getting a, an interesting um take way more than he expected from our Lord. Imagine that. And he talks about being born again of water and the Spirit through baptism, how the Son of Man must be lifted up, uh, whether or not Jesus actually said John 3.16 or not, or whether John said it, it's, it's an interesting question. But what about Joseph of Arimathea? Now, he is so important for our purposes, uh, apologetically speaking, defending the faith, expl- explaining the faith. Joseph of Arimathea is mentioned in all four of the New Testament Gospels. And here's what it says about him in John's Gospel. We'll just stick with John because it, it talks about Nicodemus too. This is in John chapter 19, verse 38 and following. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away. And by the way, whenever it says that in John's Gospel, there's talk of the Jews. What, what that really means is the Jewish religious authorities, okay? Obviously, Joseph is Jewish as well. Uh, so is Nicodemus. So is Jesus or all the apostles. Okay, so it's not an anti-Semitic uh, statement by uh, John. John is Jewish as well. After this, Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly took, asked Pilate for the body. And Pilate actually gave it to him, which is incredible when you think about it. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who had it first come to him by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. They took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb where no one had ever been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, as the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So this is really important. So, this, by the way, this is a lot of myrrh and aloes. This is a this is a pretty big deal, um, and, and and we can't we can't discount how how brave, how bold, how how brassy it was of Joseph of Arimathea to go to Pilate and ask for the body. And 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 by the way, what one of the reasons why he's so important is because if you're make if you were making up a story about Jesus, you would never have. Jesus getting a proper burial by a member of the Sanhedrin. Don't forget, this is the 
the very group that condemned Jesus to death. Uh, None of his disciples gave him a proper burial, but guess what? Joseph of Arimathea made sure it happened. You're not going to make that up unless that's the way it actually happened. And you might say, well, hang on here. If he's a member of the Sanhedrin, didn't he vote for Jesus to be killed? Well, Luke kind of explains it in his gospel. He has a little note there, explanatory note, that Joseph was not there when they made the vote. It was kind of a kangaroo court convened late at night, uh, not in accord with the law. And Joseph's just heartsick about this. He, he, is, he, he is just so angry about this, that this happened to Jesus. And he wants to make sure that he gets... A proper burial and it, this is really important too he has to be buried before nightfall because because if he's not the land would be defiled and god would not accept the passover sacrifice so so for very important religious reasons it's important to get him buried as well uh, not just for his own sake and so he asks for the body Pilate gives it to him and i think Pilate was kind of snubbing the jewish authorities as well in doing this because he knows that jesus is innocent he was just too cowardly to to set him free. And so this is kind of like, yeah, you know what? Uh, I, I know the high priest is going to be mad at me, but I'm going to do this anyways. And so this is, this is crazy in, ter- in terms of the amount of, of, of uh, spices here. It's actually the, the same amount that you would have for a royal burial. And, and that, that is probably on purpose by these guys too. They're, they're really recognizing the kingship of Jesus. And in fact, uh, again, our, our, our pal Josephus, a historian of the times, he said that when Herod the Great, who of course tried to kill Jesus when he was an infant, when Herod the, the not-so-great, we could call him, when Herod the Great was died, 500 servants, 500 people carried spices to anoint the body. I mean, there was a lot of spices, a lot of myrrh, a lot of aloes. Well, they had a lot here for Jesus, too. And the Gurion family that Nicodemus is part of was quite wealthy. Joseph of Arimathea, probably a person of means as well. Certainly, they've got the cash. They've got the credit. I'll pull out the MasterCard, and they would have been able to purchase. This is about 75 pounds, by the way, of, of myrrh, aloe, spices. And um, this is also, it's also interesting to think about. As one scholar says, you know, they probably don't quite have the right faith in Jesus yet. How do we know that? Well, they're, they're probably not convinced he's going to rise again. Otherwise, they wouldn't be, you know, burying him, like, you know, lock it down so tightly with the spices, the cloths, and everything. It just, I mean, this was, they're not expecting him to rise again at this point. Um, but it's important to know that, here's another thing about Joseph of Arimathea, why, why this, why he's so crucial for our purposes is because this means, because it was his tomb, nobody had ever been laid in this tomb before, belonged to Joseph's family, he was, Many people would be buried in the same tomb, by the way. I'll explain that in a second. But, but this, the fact that it was his tomb means that the location of Jesus' tomb was known to everybody. One of the ways that uh, some anti-Christians want to explain away Easter, explain away the resurrection, is that they say, well, the disciples went to the wrong tomb. The women went to the wrong tomb on Easter Sunday morning. That's ridiculous. First of all, people saw where he was buried. They knew where it was. Jesus was very important to them. I don't think they would forget it. You know where the tombs of, of your loved ones and relatives are, and you're not going to get that wrong. The same is true when it comes to our Lord. But even if they didn't, let's say, for argument's sake, oh, where's the tomb? We kind of forgot, man. We were so upset. We didn't really realize where it was. Well, it's Joseph's tomb. Oh, yeah, it's over there. Everybody, he's a known guy. It's like the, the tomb of, I don't know, a famous political figure, the mayor of, 
I don't know, mayor of an important city like New York or Chicago, Los Angeles, you can find these places. They're public. They're known. It was the same with, with Joseph of Arimathea. He, he's kind of a big shot. He, he's, it's like he's part of the, um, I don't know, the local government. I mean, everybody, he's a known public figure. So this is really, really important uh, for us to know. And, and, and speaking, speaking of this as well, uh, there's a, I've talked about him a lot, of a famous ex-Catholic priest named John Dominic Crossan, biblical scholar, very well known. And he has always said that Jesus never got a proper burial. He wasn't resurrected. He wasn't even properly buried. John Dominic Crossan says that Jesus' body was unceremoniously thrown in a shallow grave, covered over maybe with a little bit of lime, a little bit of dirt, and then it was eaten by wild dogs. So there was no burial, much less a resurrection. Well, why does he say that? Well, it is true that the Romans would sometimes do stuff like that. There is evidence in history that they would they would not sometimes bury have people buried properly. And, and there, the great war between the Jews and the Romans that, that lasted for, from A.D. 66 to 70 resulted in the destruction of Jerusalem, the temple. Great tragedy, which Jesus predicted, by the way. The Romans didn't care. They were crucifying people left, right, and center, all kinds of interesting ways, just for fun, just for sport. How many how many different ways can we crucify people? I mean, it was, it was bad. I mean, this was ghastly. And they were not burying the corpses. They would just leave them on the crosses to be picked apart by birds of carrion, wild animals. But here's the thing. Here's the difference when it comes to Jesus's burial. All of this happened, the passion, the death, the crucifixion of Jesus, that happened during peacetime. There was no re- insurrection happening. At this point, there were, there, in fact, there, the, the high priest was in cahoots with Pilate. They, had, they were buddies. They, were, they, would, they would go to the pub at the end of the night together and, you know, play darts or whatever, you know, shuffleboard. They, 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 there was peace between the Jews and the Romans. And when there was peace, they were more than happy to allow the Jews to uh, execute their religious sensibilities, to do their feast days how they wanted. Plus, Pilate, Pilate had already been in some trouble with, with his bosses in Rome for insurrections, letting things get out of hand. He put down a couple of uh, incidents with, with a rather heavy hand. Uh, Jesus talked about that in, in the Gospel of Luke. Hey, what about those people? Pilate mixed their blood with their sacrifices. Um, that, was a, that was a bad scene. A lot of people were killed, and Pilate got in trouble for this. And so he was kind of on his last, it was, it was, he was on his last legs here. Um, he knows that one more slip up, he, his career is over. He's going to be banished to Siberia or some, you know, way out of the way outpost. It's already, maybe, it already kind of is out of the way where he is right now in Roman Palestine. But there, there isn't a chance in the world that Pilate wouldn't let Jesus be buried properly. Why? Because, don't forget, it's Passover time. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of extra people in the city for the feast. I'm going to tell you, if there was an insurrection, if they decided, if, if G, even, even though Jesus was, not everybody believed in him, but even those who were against Jesus would have been greatly offended. Uh, the Jews who were even not believers in Christ, as, in Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, they would have been greatly offended if he didn't get a proper burial because it would mean, once again, that God would not accept the Passover sacrifice of the Jews for that year because the land would be defiled. You can't have dead bodies hanging on a tree or hanging on a cross. 
overnight, defiling the land. And so they, they would have been extremely angry. There were, there were certainly more than enough men to overwhelm by sheer numbers the Roman armies stationed in Jerusalem. So it would have been a bloodbath, and Pilate is not going to let that happen. So I think, I think part of the reason why people are, they don't quite, um, they don't quite um, uh, understand what's going on with the burial of Jesus because they're pretty ignorant of Jewish burial practices and, and kind of how it was done. I don't know if you've ever been to the Holy Land, but uh, if, you, if you go there and you go to the Mount of Olives, you, I mean, if, you, if you're there on a sunny day, you will, if, you don't, if you're not wearing sunglasses, you'll be blinded by the sun glinting off of all of the limestone caskets, all of the ossuaries, all the bone boxes that are on the side of the Mount of Olives because everybody wants to be buried in Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. And there are thousands of, of these, these, these limestone bone boxes, containers called ossuaries. And so what the, what the Jews would do is they would uh, have a practice called secondary burial in which they take the bones of the deceased person. You know, a person would be buried in a tomb, and there'd be a time of mourning. And then a year after the death, when the flesh is decayed, they would collect the bones and put them in a smaller box. It only has to be as big as the longest bone in your body. And then they would collect the bones, put them in the box, and then they would go into the family crypt. And everybody would have a niche on the, on the wall. Grandpa's over here, Uncle Jim's over there. And, and so why would they do that? Well, the, it sounds almost corny, but there's a theological reason for it. It would make it easier for God. They had faith in the resurrection. They, God's going to put, put us back together again at the resurrection. He, if, we, if we keep the bones together, it's, it will make his job a lot easier. Uh, I know it sounds crazy, but that, that, that's, it's, not, it's not crazy at all. That, that's actually theologically motivated uh, why they would do that. And so th- this is what you might recall a scene in the gospel where... Um, this guy doesn't want to follow Jesus, or he's like, can we, can we wait on this? Can I, can I take a rain check on this? He says, first, let me go bury my father. And Jesus is like, you got to follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. What? And everyone thinks he's being so cruel. This guy's dad is sick. He's going to die. Can't he say goodbye to his father before he follows Jesus? But, but his father's already dead. In all likelihood, he's coming up on the one-year anniversary of his father's death, so they've got to go back in the tomb. They've got to collect the bones for secondary burial in the ossuary, in the bone box. And so that's, he's already dead. I mean, so Jesus is saying, that's not the most important thing right now. If he were still sick, I'm sure Jesus would have said, by all means. But uh, he said, right now you've got to follow me, because the, the message of the kingdom of God, it can't wait. It can't wait. And so I think... Um, I think a lot of people are, don't know too much about this, and so it's um, easy for them to to believe crazy theorems that are put out there, wacko theories that, that get out there around Easter time that Jesus was never buried, um, all, all that sort of stuff. He, he most certainly was buried. That is definitely the case. You're listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 Let's go to Patrick in North Hollywood, California. Hi, Patrick. Hey, how you doing, Kel? I'm doing great. Doing great. Thanks for calling in. So as I, yeah, you got it. Thank you. Um, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, yeah, I wonder if when Jesus appeared to the 500 different disciples, if if people like Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus and Simon the Cyrenian uh, were some of those that he would have appeared to. I just was curious of your thoughts, Patrick. I I actually have never thought of that before, but that's that is fascinating to think about. 
because obviously, you know, 500 disciples at one time could have definitely included these guys. Why not? I mean, it's it's an interesting theory. I wonder if anybody in church history has ever suggested that, but that is absolutely fascinating. And in fact, um, I had a question about that, uh, which I believe I answered today on the Faith Explained about about the 500. Was that um, was that a legit? Was that fake news from the first century? Were there really 500 people who saw the risen Jesus at once? And I I argue yes. That's absolutely historical. And so if you missed today's episode of The Faith Explained, you can check the podcast on the Relevant Radio app, relevantradio.com. That, that's, that's, uh, that's a great point. I, I, think, I, think just, I think we can, you know, in our prayer, maybe imagine that to be the case for sure and, and that they were there. And I think, again, these two are, are really good examples of standing up for Jesus when it's not popular. We have to do that a lot in our culture today, standing up for the truths of the Catholic Church when they're not popular, when they're not accepted. Um, it, it can be very difficult. It can be difficult in the workplace. Um, you're worried about human respect. What are they going to think of me? What will they say? Uh, there might even be some serious consequences for your professional life uh, if your Catholicism is known. And again, it's not like you're wearing a pectoral cross to the office and, you know, planting cubicle. Uh, that would be a little bit unnatural, I would say, but we have to emulate their courage in, in taking the stand for our Lord and being being there for Him uh, when when He needs it and when does He need it all the time, all the time He needs witnesses and, and Jesus says, "Hey, if you're not going to witness to me before people, if you're not going to confess me before others, I'm not going to confess you. I'm going to deny you before my Father in heaven." Whoa, we got to do it. I mean, it's and, and Christ will give us the strength to do it. It's the Kale Clark Show on relevant radio we gotta take a quick break right now but we will be right back lots of fun stuff to come believe me you're not going to want to miss what's on the other side of the break 888-914-9149 faith facts and fun it's the kale clark show on relevant radio have a question give kale a call at 888-914-9149 Welcome back to the program. Yep, that's right. 888-914-9149 is the number to call. You can send your question, comment to me on the X app as well, at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And it was on the X app today. I actually saw a really interesting post by this guy named Dave. And uh, his account is called Dave, Aspiring Peasant. <laughs> Dave, Aspiring Peasant. His handle is at Aspiring Peasant peasant and he he was he was on seal team two he was a navy seal officer and um special operator he was on seal team two spent over 10 years in special ops and one of the things that he said he had this twitter thread and i I never heard of this guy before but it popped up on my feed somehow and it was really interesting and it was all about how it's really important for especially for men to get compliments and because we it's so rare that this happens i don't know if you would agree with this but uh uh, yeah, this is a generalization, but I think women get compliments a lot every day. Um, but, but for us men, it's pretty rare for some reason. And it, anyway, so I'm just going to let, let Dave tell the story here. There's a little bit of profanity in the thread, so I'm going to sanitize it for you. Uh, but uh, Dave said, as a new officer at my first SEAL team, I told the Master Chief that it made me uncomfortable when he called me Sir. Because he, he literally had more years in combat than I had months as a SEAL. And he chuckled and smiled, and he stopped him in his tracks. 
Here's what he said. He said, I don't call you sir out of respect for you as a person, sir. Don't get me wrong. You're a smart young man with a lot of potential, but that's not why I call you sir. I call you sir to remind you what you need to become, who you need to become. Wow, that's really interesting. So, so Dave said it hit him so hard when he said that, that the room just kind of froze. It's like he, he just dropped a bomb on him. He says it's elegant and it's obvious once you know where to look, but it's no less effective for knowing it's there. Honorific determinism. That's an interesting phrase. Honorific determinism. The, the Pygmalion effect in practice. A magical incantation, he says, to make me better, disguised as respect. Impossible to reject, impossible to shrug off, impossible to ignore. Every time someone calls you sir, they're looking, they're waiting, they're evaluating. They're waiting for you to rise to it and fill in the respect behind the word. Ooh, I, lo- I love this. I absolutely love this. Every time someone calls you sir, they're looking, they're waiting, they're evaluating, waiting for you to rise to it. Fill in the respect behind the word. So he says a decade later, he was a troop commander uh, of a new sort of capability in the SEAL teams. And they were, they were building tactical technology for covert ops, clandestine ops. And obviously you can't talk about uh, what they were doing. It's top secret. But he said it was the best job, the best job he ever had. This guy, Dave, former Navy SEAL, member of SEAL Team 2. He said he worked with the highest quality people that he'd ever met. There was an incredible chain of command, just really great leaders. He was given the freedom to go fast, do stuff, and get wins. And they got to work in a warehouse right on the Pacific Ocean, and they got to wear short shorts all day long. He was like, heck yes. This is the best job ever. And he said at one point, one of his guys said, hey, we got to start calling you Super Dave. We got to start calling you Super Dave. And, and somehow it stuck. And within months, he said even the Commodore was calling him Super Dave. And, and, and it made him a little uncomfortable at first. It made him a little uncomfortable at first. But he says he made his peace with it when he remembered what Master Chief Lewis told him in his first week at SEAL Team 2. It's a reminder of who they needed him to be. He had to be Super Dave. And he had to earn it every single day alongside his trident. Okay, they had their famous trident, of course, and probably seen movies where like if a seal guy dies, they pound their tridents uh, into the coffin of their fallen comrade. Very cool tradition. And and he says, just because they, they, they meant the respect that came with that nickname, super Dave, that doesn't make the cognominial determinism. I love that phrase too. Wow. That's I'll have to look that one up. Cognominial determin cognominial determinism. It doesn't make it any less effective. Every time they said it, It drove me to live up to the name, and I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. He says, obviously, I'm just a man. I failed to live up to my own standards plenty of times. Man, if I didn't try my best regardless. When they said to me, good morning, super, it was like a magical incantation for my mind. It still is. It still is. When people call me that, it means I have to earn that respect. And when I talk to the guys who still call me super, I can still feel myself needing to be better. 
He says, my time going by Super Dave is in the past, and I miss it. It's not a nickname that you can carry with you outside of its original context. Yeah, imagine that. You start a new job in an office. Just so you know, everybody has to call me Super Dave. No, it's not. (laughs) You can't take it outside of its context. And he said, just like you can't take your favorite hamster and put him in an aquarium with your favorite fish, unless you're some sort of a monster. But he says, I'll never forget that lesson that Master Chief Lewis taught me 15 years ago. We should never underestimate the subtle power of the language that we choose. And he kind of quotes another writer who says, when someone compliments you, don't deflect, don't compliment them back. You know, hey, that's a nice shirt. Oh, uh, hey, you got uh, you're wearing a nice shirt too. It really is. It's also nice. Don't self-deprecate. You know, I, I I I do this all the time. Maybe it's because I'm Canadian, but it's like ah, oh, shucks. You know, like don't self-deprecate. You say thank you, and you own the discomfort because it is uncomfortable when somebody gives you a compliment. Unless you're some sort of a megalomaniac, if you're if you're a narcissist, you know, unless you're you're mentally not not thinking rightly. It should make you a little bit uncomfortable. It should make you a little bit uncomfortable. But um, that's why you have to own the discomfort when somebody gives you a compliment. And you, you've got to accept compliments without deflecting. And, 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 and that's, that's what you've got to do. Because when, when, you, when you deflect the compliment, oh, that's really not true. I'm really just a, a putz or whatever. You're, he says you're trying to escape from the discomfort of being worthy. Because it, like, some, like this whole thing, when, when someone called him sir for the first time, he's like, I don't deserve that. No, you have to live up to this. You have to live up to that title. So don't escape from the discomfort of being worthy. But also he says, when you, when you tell people not to call you sir, not to, I mean, if he had said to people, don't call me Super Dave, I would have been depriving them of the power to make me better. And it would have been depriving me of the power to, to help me to grow. I got to grow into this. I got to grow. Into this. So he says, now I accept compliments graciously with humility, with humility, but also with gratitude. And he says, the biggest thing I've learned from this whole thing is that the power of a few words can be really, really profound. And words are free. It doesn't cost you anything to use them. So why not use them to help other people? So he says, I give all kinds of compliments to other people now, all very sincere, but I, I don't hold back. I don't hold back, even if even if it might make some people uncomfortable. He says, I'll walk across a bar to tell a dude he has a great, great mustache. <laughs> or, yeah, you, know, you got an incredible beard, bro. Um, he'll tell his friends, hey, hey I'm thinking about you, and, I, and I'm trying to do better because of your example, because you, you gave me a good example on this, that, or the other thing. He'll pull coworkers aside and tell them, when something that they did impresses him. Uh, and he said, best of all, I'll stop my kids. My kids, I'll stop them for a second, and I'll acknowledge when they do something kind, or when they've done something thoughtful, when they've been clever, or really anything I appreciate about them in the moment. And my life has only gotten better for this. And he says he's read this line from a poem, and he can't remember what poem it was. Maybe you guys might remember. 888 a line that went something like this. If you love someone and you don't tell them, you're stealing from them. Oh, that's a thought-provoking, isn't it? If you love someone and you don't tell them, you're stealing from them. So he says, hey, these words, these words of ours, they, they can really be magic. They can really be incredible. And I, I, 
I think that's that's really true. Um, now here's a, here's a note from a listener along these lines. This idea of, of compliments, especially as men. Mark Twain used to say that he could go a whole month on one word of encouragement. Because I think for guys, like we, we just don't get compliments. Like, hey, you're doing a great job. Or you're a great husband. You're a great father. You're, you're a great friend. And I really appreciate you because of whatever. So a, a listener named Bonnie, who's in Illinois, um, it was, you know, maybe a little shy to come on air, but, but she wanted to, you guys to hear this, that um, she buried her husband a year ago. I'm so sorry to hear that. Uh, Bonnie, may he rest in peace. And she says that she found, you know, just going through his belongings and everything, found a, found a note that she had written to him 15 years ago. It was 15 years old. It was a note where she complimented him that he had saved. And the note said, I'm so glad I married you and, and that you're a good man. And they were married for 40 years at that point. I'm sorry, I'm getting kind of choked up at this. Is that's that's what it's all about. It's so real. I'm so glad I married you. You're not some other bloke. You're a good man. And uh, man, that, that is, that is incredibly powerful. That's incredibly powerful. And, um, uh, need more of this, please. You're listening to the Kale Clark show on relevant radio. Wow. Let's go to the phones right now. Let's go. Let's go to Martha in Stockton, California on line one. Hi, Martha. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. Doing well, thank you. What's your question? Yeah, well, I have a question about um, back in the days um, before the science revolution or, or during the science revolution, um, what happened to why did they kind of uh, don't agree with um, um, scientists discovering the church and the Scientist. Oh, okay. Like well, Galileo Galilei. Okay. Okay. Well, Martha, th- thanks for the thanks for the question. With, with respect to the Galileo incident, the guy who really I think does an incredible job with that is my friend Christopher Check. Uh, speaking of uh, people who served America, he, he was a former U.S. Marine. Uh, great, great guy, Chris Check, and, and he's the president of Catholic Answers. If you go on YouTube, he's done a ton of presentations on the Galileo affair, and he, he's kind of the guy who I point people to on that. Uh, I'm no expert on that, but he does a great job. So check that out. Uh, Christopher Check on Galileo. You can Google that as well. Um, but in, ter- in ter- the church does not have uh, any problem with science. And, and this is one of the great misconceptions of our age, that the church is anti-science. I think we have to fight against this with every fiber of our being. Theology will answer the question, why? You know, why are we here? Why did God, what is the purpose and meaning of human life? Why did God make us? Um, but science answers the question of how, how things work in God's universe. And, and so there, there is no conflict properly understood between science and faith. And it, it, the truth of the matter is, most of the craters on the moon are named after Catholic priests. Many of them were Jesuit scientists uh, who kind of found them and they were named after them. The Big Bang Theory, not the sitcom, but the actual theory about cosmology uh, was created by Father George Lemaitre, a Catholic priest. Uh, he came up with the Big Bang Theory of, of how the universe came to be. And so uh, science, again, just tells us how things work in God's world. There's no conflict between science and faith. Science is all about the why. Um, 
uh, or sorry, theology is about the why, science is about the how. So hopefully, um, hopefully that makes sense. Let's go to Christine in Chicago. Hi, Christine. Christine. Hi, Kale. Oh. Uh, I'm calling in about a, a comment about taking compliments. Sure. Uh, normally, uh, when people give me a compliment about my uh, musical talent, I tell them uh, thank you, but I have to share that uh, thank you uh, with God because he gave me the talent to do what I can do with the music. Amen. So, Amen to that, Christine. I, I, I take the, com- the, the compliment, but I, I take it as a sharing with <laughs> God for it. Oh, absolutely. That, that's a great point. You know, credit where credit is due. All of our gifts, all of our talents, everything we have is on loan from Almighty God. And so, absolutely, that that is that is a great thing to do. And um, if someone gives you a compliment, and, and you can just say, oh, praise God, thanks for that. And, and it's important to, um, yeah, it kind of keeps us uh, rightly thinking as well. Sometimes we can get... Uh, really really too high or on the in the peaks of life and, and too low in the valleys and uh uh to keep an even keel john wooden uh, the famous uh, wizard of westwood the coach of the ucla bruins used to uh, remind his players about that all the time humility humility that uh, uh all of our gifts are on loan and and it's um yeah it's important for us to know that absolutely well just a couple of quick announcements here uh if you haven't caught it yet if you haven't heard about this we've got a brand new series on the faith explained show called Jesus 101. This is awesome. It's, it's back to school time. Everybody's kind of hitting the books again. And we've got to really keep studying when it comes to our faith. Uh, we make it easy for you. There are no tests. There are no exams. Uh, but you can check out the talks on the Relevant Radio app and relevantradio.com. We just started this week. So on the long weekend, if you want to binge listen the first few episodes, if you miss them, it's a perfect time to do it. It's a perfect time to share it with a friend. And we really need you to help uh, people find out about the shows. The number one way that people find out about the Kale Clark Show or the Faith Explained or any of our other fine programs on this network is by people telling their friends about it, sharing the stream. Uh, it's a great way to share every show on the Relevant Radio app. It's easy. It just takes a tap to do it. And we really appreciate you doing that so much so that we can continue to reach the world for Jesus Christ through the media. That's our mission. Stay tuned to Relevant Radio. Tim Marie's coming up, as well as Father Rocky and the Family Rosary across America. Tim Shaper produced. Patrick Aylock took your phone calls. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.